Guy Mannering or the Astrologer by Sir Walter Scott. Volume 2, Chapter 16. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Volume 2, Chapter 16. But if thou shouldst be dragged in scorn to yonder ignominious tree, Thou shalt not want one faithful friend to share the cruel fate's decree. Shenstone Plunged in the gloomy reflections which were naturally excited by his dismal reading and disconsolate situation, Bertram, for the first time in his life, felt himself affected with a disposition to low spirits. I have been in worse situations than this too, he said, more dangerous, for here is no danger, more dismal in prospect, for my present confinement must necessarily be short, more intolerable for the time, for here at least I have fire, food, and shelter. Yet, with reading these bloody tales of crime and misery in a place so corresponding to the ideas which they excite, and in listening to these sad sounds, I feel a stronger disposition to melancholy than in my life I ever experienced. But I will not give way to it. Be gone, thou record of guilt and infamy, he said, flinging the book upon the spare bed. A Scottish jail shall not break on the very first day the spirits which I have resisted climate and want and penury and disease and imprisonment in a foreign land. I have fought many a hard battle with Dame Fortune, and she shall not beat me now if I can help it. Then bending his mind to a strong effort, he endeavoured to view his situation in the most favourable light. Delasere must soon be in Scotland. The certificates from his commanding officer must soon arrive. Nay, if Mannering were first applied to, who could say but the effect might be a reconciliation between them? He had often observed, and now remembered, that when his former colonel took the part of anyone, it was never by halves, and that he seemed to love those persons most, who had lain under obligation to him. In the present case a favour, which could be asked with honour and granted with readiness, might be the means of reconciling them to each other. From this his feelings naturally turned towards Julia, and without very nicely measuring the distance between a soldier of fortune, who expected that a father's attestation would deliver him from confinement, and the heiress of that father's wealth and expectations, he was building the gayest castle in the clouds, and varnishing it with all the tints of a summer evening sky, when his labour was interrupted by a loud knocking at the outer gate, answered by the barking of the gaunt, half-starved mastiff, which was courted in the courtyard as an addition to the garrison. After much scrupulous precaution, the gate was opened and some person admitted. The house door was next unbarred, unlocked, and unchained. A dog's feet pattered upstairs in great haste, and the animal was heard scratching and whining at the door of the room. Next a heavy step was heard lumbering up, and MacGuffock's voice in the character of Pilot. This way, this way, take care of the step, that's the room. Bertram's door was then unbolted, and to his great surprise and joy, his terrier, Wasp, rushed into the apartment and almost devoured him with caresses, followed by the massy form of his friend from Charlie's Hope. "'Hey, woe! Hey, woe!' he ejaculated the honest farmer, as he looked around upon his friend's miserable apartment and wretched accommodation. "'What's this ought? What's this ought?' "'Just a trick of fortune, my good friend,' said Bertram, rising and shaking him heartily by the hand. "'That's all.' "'But what will be done about it? Or what can be done about it?' said the honest dandy. Is it for debt, or what's it for? Why, it's not for debt, answered Bertram, and if you have time to sit down, I'll tell you all I know of the matter myself. If I have 
dame said dandy with an accent on the word that sounded like a howl of derision oh what the devil am i come here for man but just ain't errand to see about but you'll no be the world of something to eat i trow it's getting late at e'en i'll tell the folk at the change where i put up dumble to send o'er my supper here and the child mcguffock is agreeable to let it in i've settled all that and now let's hear your story wisht wasp man oh but he's glad to see you poor thing bertram's story being confined to the accident of hazelwood and the confusion made between his own identity and those of the smugglers who had been active in the assault of whitbourne and chanced to bear the same name was soon told dinmont listened very attentively ah weel he said this should be nae sic doom's desperate business surely the lad's doing well again that was hurt and what signifies to our three lead drops in his shoulder if you had putten out his eye it would have been another case but eh as i was and old share playdell was to the fore here odd he was the man for sorting them and the queerest rough-spoken devil too that i ever ye heard but now tell me my excellent friend how did you find out that i was here odd lad queerly enough said dandy but i'll tell ye that after we are done we our supper for it will maybe no be so well to speak about it while that lang-lugged limero alas is gone flisking in and out of the room bertram's curiosity was in some degree put to rest by the appearance of the supper which his friend had ordered which although homely enough had the appetizing cleanliness in which mrs mcguffock's cookery was so eminently deficient dinmont also premising he had ridden the whole day since breakfast time without tasting anything to speak of which qualified phrase related to about three pounds of cold roast mutton which he had discussed at his midday stage dinmont i say fell stoutly upon the good cheer and like one of homer's heroes said little either good or bad till the rage of thirst and hunger was appeased at length after a draught of home-brewed ale he began by observing ah weel ah weel that in looking upon the lamentable relics of what had once been a large fowl was no bad ain to be bred at a town end though it's no like our band or chookies at charlie's hope and i'm glad to see that this vexing job hasn't taken away your appetite captain why really my dinner was so excellent mr dunmont as to spoil my supper i dare say no i dare say no said dandy but now hinny that ye have brought us the brandy and the mug with the hot water and the sugar and all right ye may steek the door ye see for we would have some of our own cracks the damsel accordingly retired and shut the door of the apartment to which she added the precaution of drawing a large bolt on the outside as soon as she was gone dandy reconnoitred the premises listened at the keyhole as if he had been listening for the blowing of an otter and having satisfied himself that there were no eavesdroppers returned to the table and making himself what he called a gay stiff cheerer poked the fire and began his story in an undertone of gravity and importance not very usual with him you see captain i had been in edinburgh for twa or three days looking after the burial of a friend that we had lost and maybe i should had had something for my ride but there's disappointments in our things and wha can help the like of that and i had a wee bit law business besides and that's neither here nor there in short i had got my matters settled and how i came and the mom awa to the moors to see what the herds had been about and i thought i might as well gie a look 
to the two-top head where Jocko Donston and me has the outcast about to march. Well, just as I was coming on the bit, I saw a man afore me, that I ken was nane of our herds, and it's a wild bit to meet any other body, so when I came up to him it was Todd Gabriel, the fox-hunter. So I says to him, rather surprised-like, what are you doing up among the crows here without your hounds, man? And are you seeking the fox without the dogs? So he said, Nah, good man, but I wanted to see yourself. Aye, said I, and you'll be wanting ilding now or something to pit o'er the winter. Nah, nah, quoth he. It's no that I'm seeking. But you take an unco concern in that Captain Brown, and that will stay with you, do you know? truth do i gabriel says i and what about him lad says he there's mere talk and interest in the new and some that i'm bound to obey and it's no just on my ain will that i'm here to tell you something about him that will no please you faith nothing will please me quoi that's no pleasing to him and then quoth he he'll be ill sorted to hear that he's like to be in the prison at porton ferry if he disna take uh, the better care of himself for there's been warrants out to take him as soon as he comes o'er the water free Allenbury. And now, good man, and ever ye wish him weel, ye mun ride down to Porton Ferry, and let ne grass grow at the nag's heels, and if ye find him in confinement, ye must stay beside him the night and day for a day or twa, for he'll want friends that hae baith heart and hand, and if ye neglect this, ye'll never rue but once, for it'll be all your life. But safest man, quo I, how did you learn o' this? It's an unco way between this and Porton Ferry. Never you mind that, quo he. Them that brought us the news rode night and day, and you maun be off instantly if you would do any good, and say I have nothing more to tell ye. Say he sat himself doon and hurtled doon into the glen, where it would hae been ill following him wi the beast, and I came back to Charlie's Hope to tell the good wife for I was uncertain what to do. It would look uncool-like, I thought, just to be sent out on a hunt the gawker and we a land-looper like that. But, Lord, as the good wife set up her throat about it and said what a shame it would be if ye was to come to any wrong, and I could help ye, then in came your letter that confirmed it. So I took to the kist, and out with the pickle notes in case they should be needed, and all of the bairns ran to saddle Dumple. By great luck I'd take the other beast to Edinburgh, so Dumple was as fresh as a rose. So off I set, and was wee me, for ye would really hae thought he kenned where I was going, poor a beast. And here I am, after a tot of sixty mile or nearby, but was braid thirty of them afore me on the saddle, and the poor doggy balanced itself as under the weans had weighed done, whether I trotted or cantered. In this strange story, Bertram obviously saw, supposing the warning to be true, some intimation of danger more violent and imminent than could be likely to arise from a few days' imprisonment. At the same time, it was equally evident that some unknown friend was working in his behalf. Did you not say, he asked Dinmont, that this man Gabriel was of gypsy blood? It was e'en judged so, said Dinmont, and I think this makes it likely, for they are ken where the gangs o' ilk either are to be found, and they can gar news flee like a football through the country, and they like. And I forgot to tell you, 
there's been an unco inquiry after the old wife that we saw in Bewcastle. The sheriffs had folk o'er the limestone edge after her, and down the hermitage and little and her gates, and a reward offered for her to appear of fifty pounds sterling, no less, and Justice Forster, he's had out warrants, as I am told, in Cumberland, and an unco ranging and riping they have had at gates seeking for her, but she'll no be ta'en with them unless she likes for all that. And how comes that? said Bertram. Oh, I dinna ken, I dare say it's nonsense. But they say she has gathered the fern seed and can gang on e gate she likes, like Jock the Giant Killer in the ballad. We is coat to darkness and is shoon as swiftness. Anyway, she's a kind of queen among the gypsies. She's more than a hundred year old, folks say, and minds the coming in of the moss troopers in the troublesome times when the Stuarts were put away. Say, if she canna hide herself, she kens them that can hide her weel enough. Ye need not doubt that. Odd, and I had kenned it had been Meg Merrily's yon night at Tibbs Mumps. I would taken care how I had crossed her. Bertram listened with great attention to this account, which tallied so well in many points with what he had himself seen of this gypsy Sibyl. After a moment's consideration, he concluded it would be no breach of faith to mention what he had seen at Durnclue to a person who held Meg in such reverence as Dimmont obviously did. He told his story accordingly, often interrupted by ejaculations such as, "'Weel, the like o' that now! Oh, na, deal, and that's no something now!' When our Liddersdale friend had heard the whole to an end, he shook his great black head. "'Weel, I'll uphold there's both good and ill among the gypsies, and if they deal with the enemy, it's our the ain business and no ours.' I ken what the streaking the courts would be well enough. They smuggler devils, when ony of them's killed in a fray, they'll send for a wife like Meg far enough to dress the corpse. It's a burial they ever think o', and then to be put in the ground without any decency, just like dogs. But they stick to it, and they'll be stricken, and hae an old wife when they're dying to rhyme o' prayers and ballads and charms, as they call them, rather than they'll hire a minister to come and pray with them. That's an old threep of theirs, and I'm thinking the man that died will have been any of the folk that was shot when they burnt Woodbourne. But my good friend, Woodbourne is not burnt, said Bertram. Well, the better for them that buys it, answered the store farmer. Odd, we had it up the water with us that was na a stain on the tap of another, but there was fighting anyway, I dare to say it would be fine fun, and as I said ye may take it on trust that there's been ane of the men killed there, and that's been the gypsies that took your pock monkey when they found the chase sticking in the snow. They wouldn't pass the like of that. It would just come to their hand like the ball of a pint stoop. But if this woman is sovereign among them, why was she not able to afford me open protection and to get me back my property? Oh, who oh kens? She has muckle to say with them, but whiles they take their own way are that, when they're under temptation, and then there's the smugglers that they are leagued with. She maybe couldna manage them so well. They aye banded together. I've heard that the gypsies ken when the smugglers will come off, and where they're to land better than the very merchants that deal with them. And then, to the boot of that, she's wiles crack-brained and has a bee in her head, they say that. 
whether her spayings and fortune-tellings be true or no, for certain she believes in them herself, and is guiding herself by some queer prophecy or another, so she disna a gang the straight road to the well, but deal as sick a story as yours we glamour and dead folk and losing ain's gate, I've heard out the tale books, but wished I hear the keeper coming. Macguffock accordingly interrupted their discourse by the harsh harmony of the bolts and bars, and showed his bloated visage at the open door. Come, Mr. Dinmont, we have put off locking up for an hour to oblige ye. Ye must go to your quarters. Quarters, man, I intend to sleep here the night. There's a spare bed in the captain's room. It's impossible, answered the keeper. But I say it is possible, and that I winna stir, and there's a dram to ye. Macguffock drank off the spirits and resumed his ejection. But it's against rule, sir. Ye have committed nay malefaction. I'll break your head, said the sturdy Liddersdale man, if you say any more about it, and that will be malefaction enough to entitle me to a night's lodging, would you, anyway? But I tell you, Mr. Dinmont, reiterated the keeper, it's against rule, and I have behoved to lose my post. Weel, Macguffock, said Dandy, I had just twa things to say. Ye ken why I'm weel enough, and that I would not loose a prisoner. And how do I ken that? answered the jailer. Well, if you dinna ken that, said the resolute farmer, ye ken this. Ye ken ye're a while's obliged to be up our water in the way o' your business. Now, if you let me stay quietly here the night with the captain, I'll pay ye double fees for the room, and if you say no, ye shall have the best sark for sair bains that ever ye had in your life the first time ye set foot by little moat. Ah, weel, ah, weel, goodman, said Macguffock. A wilful man mon high his way, but if I'm challenged for it by the justices, I ken who shall bear the weight. And, having sealed this observation with a deep oath or two, he retired to bed, after carefully securing all the doors of the bridewell. The bell from the town steeple told nine just as the ceremony was concluded. Although it's but early hours, said the farmer, who had observed that his friend looked somewhat pale and fatigued, I think we had better lie down, Captain, if you're no agreeable to another cheerer. But troth, you're nae glass-breaker, neither am I, unless it be screed with the neighbours, or when I am on a ramble. Bertram readily assented to the notion of his faithful friend, but on looking at the bed felt repugnance to trust himself undressed to Mrs. McGovick's clean sheets. I muckle o' your opinion, Captain, said Dandy. Odd, this bed looks as if all the colliers in Sanquar had been in it together, but it'll no win through my muckle coat. So saying, he flung himself upon the frail bed with a force that made all its timbers crack, and in a few moments gave audible signal that he was fast asleep. Bertram slipped off his coat and boots, and occupied the other dormitory. The strangeness of his destiny and the mysteries which appeared to thicken around him while he seemed alike to be persecuted and protected by secret enemies and friends, arising out of a class of people with whom he had no previous connection, for some time occupied his thoughts. Fatigue, however, gradually composed his mind, and in a short time he was as fast asleep as his companion, and in this comfortable state of oblivion we must leave them until we acquaint the reader with some other circumstances which occurred about the same period. End of Volume 2, Chapter 16